Hey everyone, welcome to the Midtown Midweek where we take the sermon on Sunday and talk about it more. I'm here with Pastor John Ludovina. How are we doing, John? Doing great. Glad to be with you, Drake. Yeah, so John is here. We're recording before the sermon. You said we were going to hold that secret for ourselves. for our audience, they want to know. The audience wants to know. Behind the scenes. Give them the deets. And so I'm here with John right before the preaching of the sermon. John's here with a fresh pair of sneakers that you may not see in the sermon because of the way we have it framed up, but John's looking real sharp right now. They are fresh. Got them off eBay for $60. That is a deal. So the sermon that y'all will have heard on Sunday talking about what it means to be salt and light. Jesus comes out of the Beatitudes and kind of his recap summary statement is when we are living this out, we become salt and light to the world. And so I know there's probably a lot of things we didn't get to in the sermon for the sake of time. So John, go ahead and uh, you have the floor. What didn't make the final cut? Yeah, man. Got a lot of content, you know, with our we're trying to keep the sermons trim for video's sake. It's just harder to pay attention on a video screen than when you're live. As well, this is one of those sermons where we're really trying to cast vision about who Jesus calls us to be as the church. And so uh, there's tons of stuff you can unpack that you just don't have time for. So I've got a bunch of notes. We're going to fly through the stuff. Uh, you stop me and interact whenever you got thoughts. Yeah. Uh, first off, just a little, a little freebie. I've made this joke for years in sermons. And uh, Pastor Ant over at Two Notch, uh, just let me know, there is actually a website called Y'all Version, yallversion.com, Link in where the show it, notes. Will, it will go through the scripture and put in y'all for any second plural pronouns that yeah. should be pluralized, y'all for you. It actually has a bunch of different versions. There's like a New York version that will say, use guys. As there should be. <laughs> And a Pittsburgh version that says Yins. I don't really get that one, but that Pittsburgh. Something? That's weird. Whatever. For all our Pittsburgh listeners, please confirm. Anyway, it's it's silly, but it's actually helpful. You should check out y'all version when you're studying the Bible. It will let you know whenever the context is plural and not singular. And that's really helpful because most of the New Testament is. Yeah, and absolutely. We just don't read it like that. We don't understand. We read it it's all individually. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so check that out. The link is in the show notes and yeah, I mean, that's something we're really going for. Even as a church family, one thing that makes us really unique is that we really try to press what it means to be a family where our faith is not private. We share that with one another. We practice, we live out the one another's. Uh, so check out that translation. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I do think it's probably important to note, this isn't like something new we discovered, like faithful churches have understood this throughout it just somehow in america it seems to get it seems to have gotten lost a lot in this concept of american individuality american isolationism that i am a fortress unto myself ah uh, says who not jesus jesus says he is a fortress that we run to and we run there together and he's building us into a temple but we're all living stones built on each other together we're, yeah. we are the fortress not me i'm not a fortress by myself one would say we follow jesus together Dot com. Check it out. Link in the show notes. <laughs> All right. So I guess kind of two bigger areas uh, of stuff that just didn't make the cut. And one is I talked about some of this stuff in the sermon, but a lot of it is really just different ways as Americans, as an American church that we feel pressure all the time to not be salt and light Pre- or, or forms of Christianity, forms of following Jesus that just don't live up to the measure of what Jesus had in mind with salt and light. And so um, I talked about some of these a little bit, uh, but really there, there are a thousand different ways that we're being tempted to not be salt and light all the time. So 
uh, things like politics every political season, which is at least every two years, big time national every four years, every time we're being tempted to put our hope in princes, as the scriptures say, do not put your hope in princes. Don't put your hope in earthly, human, fallible, sinful leaders. And every election cycle, watch as thousands of people on both sides of the aisles lose their minds because they're putting their hope in princes. And Jesus is the prince of peace. No other prince on earth is going to bring the shalom, the utopia, the peace that we want to see. Now, certainly some do it better than others. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't care. But as Christians, we care while we cling to the cross. I knew, um, I knew a friend uh, named Keisha who uh, she just told we were hanging out one time and I was asking her, it was after 2016, Trump had just been elected. I was asking her how she's doing. She's, she's an African-American sister. And I was like, you doing okay? How are we, how are we handling the news? And she said, John, I put my hope in the, in the covenant, not in the government. And I love that. That's yes. such beautiful. She didn't like it. And that's okay. You don't have to like it, but you got to trust Jesus, not politics. So that's one. Uh, another one is just materialism. Um, so there's philosophical materialism where we only believe in what we can see, taste, touch, smell. Uh, the imminent domain is all that we're concerned with. And the only thing we care about Jesus and anything spiritual is how it makes my life better now. Yeah. Uh, that's a swing and a miss biblically, that there's a lot more than just the material realm and that actually all of our life here is just a precursor to eternal life that really matters infinitely more than anything that happens here. And that gives us great hope and confidence when we're suffering and other stuff like that. But then there's also just the consumeristic type of materialism where we want everything to be a commodity. You know, the have it your way right here, right now kind of culture where uh, I want fast food and I want it now. I want fast spirituality. I want Jesus packaged in an easy and a happy meal. I want Jesus in a happy meal. That's what people want. And there's nothing in the scripture that says that's how spiritual growth happens. It's a long haul agricultural kind of growth where you plant seeds and you wait and you harvest when in time and in season. And so that consumeristic mentality, you know, and so the, you see this in silly ways where churches have crazy gift shops and coffee shops, or they'll churches will do promotions to get people in the doors. Like I'm giving away a free iPad or a free car or whatever it is. And it's like, wait, so you're, you're playing in to American consumerism, this idolization of stuff to win them to Jesus. That's not going to work. Cause he's going to call them the opposite direction. He's going to call them to repent of the thing that you're trying to use to get them in the doors. It's just, it's such a, it's just a whiff. Yeah. With that, uh, I've heard some pastors and churches say, well, we want to be all things to all people so that we might win some. But the real danger in that is when we are allowing cultural voices and beliefs to play into how we do church rather than the other way around. It becomes really dangerous. One thing a uh, ministry mentor told me once was whatever wins them keeps them. Yeah. So if you are one over to the giveaways and the show, that's what's going to keep you there. You better but keep it up. Exactly. And the moment you start detracting away from that and start focusing on more biblical things, such as discipleship, that's when people say, well, I'm out. I'm I was gonna, never interested in that to begin I'm with. I'm going to jump to the, the other free thing. IPad. That's right. And you know, the thing in that as well is it, I think the really deepest danger is that you mix together the idols of America with Christianity and you make something new that is not the gospel of Jesus. It's not the kingdom way of life that Jesus 
teaches here on the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's a different bastardized version of idolatry mixed in with Christianity. And Jesus isn't having that. Yeah. He, he wants to kill our idols. He doesn't want to make room for them. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that one's a bummer. Let's see. Um, talked a little bit about capitalism in the sermon. Uh, I, and, and maybe even just, just clearing all of this stuff up. When it comes to consumer Christianity, um, a sermon cannot be good outside of its ability to form individuals into a community of salt and light. Mm-hmm. Songs are, and this one's really just kind of speaking to that idea of like, I'm just going to go on the internet and find my favorite preachers and find my favorite music. And, fi- and it's like, well, uh, that's not necessarily terrible. There's incredible, amazing, gifted pastors and worship leaders and all kinds. Co- There's incredible spiritual goods and services in America. Mm. But if you're just consuming and you're not being changed communally into salt and light, you're missing it. It's yeah. a whiff. Yeah. No, absolutely. There is something to us as a people listening to the same word being preached, all forming us and shaping us. And I know I've been guilty of this, of listening to podcast preachers who are very solid biblically, theologically, and then using that as the lens to judge preachers, teachers from my own church family. And that's messed up too. That is a form of consumerism as well, where this is how I prefer it. I don't necessarily have a verse and a, a text as to why, but this is my preference and I'm filtering it through. And now that actually keeps me from being church family because I'm not being primarily shaped by the word being preached it within my church family. And accidentally, consumerism just planted a seed of divisiveness and bitterness in you that didn't need to be there. It breaks down unity. And I'll just go ahead and cast Under out of the, the guise of theological education and all yeah, of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just go ahead and cat, cat out of the bag. They're better than us. <laughs> they're, they're more talented than us. Like if, if we were as talented as them, we would have millions of followers and we'd be, you know, and maybe there's some other promotional gimmicks involved, but I'm just saying in general, they are better. So don't judge me by that. Mm. Judge me by my faithfulness to God's word and to Jesus as I shepherd my people. That, yeah. That's what the scripture says oh, I'm yeah. called to. And that's, that's what we want to be about. We want to be about faithfulness, man. That's way more important than, uh, that, that's one other thing that we didn't get into a lot. Actually, it's, I'm out of order in my notes, but we'll jump to there. Um, I want to talk about the dangers of celebrity. And this pops up in some different ways in American Christianity. Uh, you have one version of it where, uh, Parents of teenagers get way too excited if Justin Bieber claims to be following Jesus. And it's like, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that they see you following Jesus and they're connected to a community. Like that is what will help your teenager follow Jesus and become salt and light. Not whether or not any celebrity and you just follow these people. And so much of the time it's Jesus for a season and then they're out. And I don't actually have any idea right now if Bieber's following Jesus or not. I don't have a lot of evidence that he's ever followed him super faithfully. And I don't want that to be the guy we're lifting up as like, ha yeah. a celebrity loves Jesus. There's hope. Yeah. No, yeah. normal, ordinary salt and light people love Jesus. Let's make communities and invite people into that. That's yeah. the hope that Jesus says will really change the world. That's right. So that's one version of it. Uh, another version of celebrity is when we do put the spotlight on the Uber gifted and it's just all about the, the most talented people should have all the attention. And I, I, I just want to say for, for this one, that is dangerous for the person who's really talented. Um, celebrity is not good for people. It puts a pressure and a strain on people that more often than not, as I have watched, people that I celebritized, people that I looked up to from this 
national distance, just watching their sermons, watching their preaching careers. I thought they were heroes. And then I've watched over time the, the strain, the pressure, the effect. I mean, some of these guys have committed suicide. Some of these guys have been discredited. They've had you know sin issues that they haven't been able to walk in repentance because they weren't actually in healthy community. They were just always the guy on top. They were always the guy leading the charge. And so they've been removed from positions of authority and leadership. There's been scandals. It's sad. And, yeah. I, you know, uh, Michael Bailey over at Lexington and I were talking this week about how you start to get the feeling that Jesus was the only one who actually had the integrity and was worthy of the glory to be able to handle fame and to be able to handle celebrity. Celebrity, man, it's a sickness. It does something to the human soul. And, you know, I mean, this is well beyond just Christian leaders. Look at almost any one who deals, just listen to them talk about it. Most people who are famous go, I'm not sure I really like this whole fame thing. And there's all kinds of health problems and all kinds of issues that come with fame and celebrity. But as American values seep into the salt and light community of the church, we go, no, 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 no. Celebrity's awesome. I yeah. want that. I want to follow that. And I think Jesus is going, no, I want you to be salt and light. I want you to follow me. Yeah. What's interesting, you hear that term celebrity teacher preacher, and we kind of think of, you know, the the young, hip, cool person who's packing out stadiums. And so I just know that in our tradition, we kind of swing the other way when it comes to people who are solid Bible teachers, biblically faithful. And I know even like growing up 10, 15 years ago, those were the guys that inadvertently we propped up as celebrities and thinking there's no way that they would succumb to being discredited because their theology is so sound and God's really at work. And uh, while that's true that God did use their ministry, even having sound doctrine doesn't necessarily mean that you are immune to the idol of fame and power and approval. Man, it's so and hard so for not to go to your head. Even 15 years ago, those list of guys that I'm sure me and you really looked up to has just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Aren't many of them left yeah. at this point? Yeah. Um, and the ones who are left, I think there's a visible humility and a, uh, even a hesitance about their fame. Oh, and yeah. I, I, that, that's encouraging to me now. I don't think I used to look for that. Now I, I want someone who doesn't like the fame they have yeah. and almost, you know, wants to be out of the spotlight more than in it, wants to share it, wants to prop up other faithful teachers and not just themselves. Yeah. Other things, John? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned this one a little bit, uh, talking about the idea of bigger equals better. Uh, something really interesting that I'll just kind of put out there and you guys can go do some more research on it. Uh, Willow Creek uh, was one of these kind of new wave of churches that I talked about. I think they started like mid 70s, 1980, somewhere around there. And so they've been going for 40 years now, but they were one of the first ones to really start to bring in business ideals and marketing. And that's how we're going to reach people who are far from Jesus. And uh, after almost 30 years of being a church, they did this massive study and they wrote this book called Reveal. And essentially their biggest finding throughout the book was that in 30 years of ministry, they had done tons of programs. They did all kinds of great things and they had absolutely failed to disciple their people mm -hmm. and their members on basic tenets of Christianity and knowing the word and knowing how to study Jesus and walk in the habits and the practices of, you know, what we would call personal liturgies. Uh, their, their people were just absolutely inadequate. They were starving for real discipleship. Yeah. And, and so I, I have a quote from the book that uh, <laughs> kind of one of their big theories essentially was, does increased attendance in ministry programs automatically equate to spiritual growth? 
to be brutally honest, it does not. And so I think, you know, here we're talking kind of the ministry philosophy of come and see versus go and tell. And, and biblically, we would say both. Yeah. We, we want people to come see our community, come see the effect that Jesus has on life. But if your only thing is to put on a big show for people to come and see, there's no actual long-term fruit of discipleship from that. And it's a, it's a whiff, it's a miss. And so even when we invite people to come and see, it's not a show, it's a people. It's a, it's a it's salt and light community. That's what we're about. And then also, as you become salt and light, you're ready to go and tell. You're ready to go not just shout the gospel at people, but live the gospel amongst people and, and have answers when, when they see your hope that they don't have in a year like 2020 when everything's going wrong. And so uh, anyway, you should check out that book if, you, if you're interested in these things and kind of church, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's unfortunate that that was a lesson that had to be learned. Uh, but Willow Creek, man, they impacted thousands of churches who tried to kind oh, of yeah. model after what they had done and do almost more life coaching rather than Bible teaching or like a mixture of the two. Uh, and, and then after 30 years, they said, uh, I think we really missed it on the discipleship boat. Yeah. Jesus and his life and ministry, the come and see versus go and tell he has is often has large crowds. And then he says things that just draws people away. And yet at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, during his ascension, out of all the crowds, he had 12 left, 11 left. And so there is something to, yes, both and evangelism and discipleship. So, uh, and that's what we're trying to go for. That's what yeah. scriptures calls us to. It's a both and. Yeah. Um, you know, even just the way Jesus defines discipleship is discipleship is the both and discipleship mm. is inviting people into the kingdom and growing them up in the kingdom. You know, it's like yeah. go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught. It's both. He, yeah. To Jesus, discipleship is not just for Christians. It's for the world. Salt yeah. and light is for the world. And that's, uh, you know, it's hard to keep that balance. It's hard to not become insular, but not only focus on reaching, doing whatever it takes to reach people and having no idea what to do with them once they're in the boat. And then you can actually get into spiritual neglect and a whole bunch of people who don't really know how to follow Jesus well at all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. One other quick thing, and then we'll shift gears a little bit. Last thing I'll talk about on the dangers. Um, with this idea of spiritual maturity equal, equaling knowing facts, you know, that the more knowledge I have immediately, the more mature I am. And if I can sit in a Bible study and know the answers and be smarter than other people, oh, I must be really spiritually mature. Um, so I actually, this is just a quick story. I had a, had a good friend. She ended up leaving Midtown. She was pretty young at the time. And, uh, and this happens a lot. We regularly have people who leave Midtown. And uh, sometimes, there are all kinds of different reasons, but sometimes people leave Midtown because they want to go somewhere with deeper Bible teaching, with more technical, academic um, exposition of the scriptures in a lot of the real nitty gritty seminary kind of stuff. And we don't hate that stuff. We like that stuff. We learn a lot from doing some of that for ourselves. Um, but it was really interesting to me. She, she had come back around Midtown recently and I just asked her, I said, you know, the, the church that you left Midtown to go to, I know them. They're good at that. Like, why did you end up leaving there? And, you know, partially cause I'm like, are you just going to leave here again? at some point, you know, and I don't mm -hmm. think that's the case. Uh, but her answer was, you know, she said, you know, I looked around at the people there and I realized they were not committed to each other's spiritual growth. And that floored me a little bit. Wow. So sometimes people 
come back around or you see someone who hasn't been around Midtown for a while and they just say, man, nobody else does community like you guys. And it's like, thank you. I know that's a compliment, but that actually worries me a little bit because you could, you could com- uh, commodify community. You could treat Absolutely. community like a spiritual good and service that you miss uh-huh. getting that Happy Meal box. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's not what she said. What she said was they were not deeply committed to each other's spiritual growth. And that to me is a harsh indictment. Man, beautifully articulate, high level, thought through, academic, faithful, excellent preaching of the word that doesn't build a salt and light community, something is broken there. That is not the ideal that Jesus calls his church to. It's also inaccessible to anyone who probably doesn't have at least a college degree. So I've got some other issues and some other concerns there. I remember back when I was on sabbatical, I visited just so many different churches and there were multiple times where I left with this question of why did people come here today? What was the point? What What did they get out of it? And the vibe that I got was they were made to feel smart. The guy up on the, on the stage, he was really smart and he made them feel like they were really smart and they liked that feeling. And beyond that, I could not discern anything they could take away from it that would actually change their life. And it was just heartbreaking to me, man. Yeah. I'm not trying to be judgmental or think we're superior, man. By God's grace, we're just trying to be faithful what Jesus said is in his word. And I don't know how so many people miss this stuff because it just, it hurts my heart to see churches that don't value life change and salt and light community enough. It, uh, I, I wish, I wish for more for the American church. Um, and, and for us all the time, I mean, this is the ideal. We're not saying we're perfect in it. We're just trying as hard as we can to get after it. Yeah. The way I think it was the Puritans that talked about repentance, Christian living, uh, receiving teaching, it is head, heart, and hands. And you need all three working together. And if you are built up with lots of head knowledge, but it doesn't actually affect your heart or hands in terms of you going out and applying it, then it's a big miss. In fact, I read an article from Nine Marks this morning. The title of the article was, what does it mean to teach? Or what does it mean able to teach? And so I read that. And they even said that good teaching is when we faithfully exposit God's word so that people go out and love God and love others more. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's it right there. And when the preaching can be so sound exegetically and lots of head knowledge, but it doesn't actually move into our hearts or we are not given the tools to actually live this out. If we don't see that in our people, then we need to recorrect our teaching because that's not according to what the Bible says makes a quality sermon yeah. or, or teaching. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I got one last thought that's kind of in a different vein. Um, and then we'll just, you know, wrap up here. I, this one's a funny one because there's, a, there's been a big movement um, that we were definitely a part of at some point, this, this kind of explicit gospel idea, the idea that for a long time, the church assumed the gospel and therefore it kind of lost the thought of the gospel. And, you know, so many faithful guys, Keller and, Chandler and lots of other guys have talked about this and written books about this. And uh, you can get this mentality of like every sermon must have the gospel, the facts of the gospel, the gospel offered in its fullness every time. And Jesus never said that. The Bible doesn't have that rule. And there are texts that don't have the good news of the gospel laid out explicitly like that. And you can force it in. And I didn't have time to today. 
uh, it's in here. It's in here. It's connected. It always connects to Jesus. It always connects to the cross and the resurrection. But sometimes we don't have time in a sermon. Uh, here's the beautiful part of the sermon that I just didn't have time for. Uh, Jesus is salt and light. He is the salt and light. He is the truest salt that transforms and preserves our broken, sinful human souls that redefines and reconstitutes, not just prevents rotten decay, but heals rotten decay and gives us a new mm, yeah. soul, a new creation, a new heart, a new mind. Jesus is the salt that we all need. Jesus is the light of the world. And so uh, if anyone heard the sermon and walked away going, oh no, I have got to go work way harder to be salt and light. I've got to go earn that or God's going to be mad at me. Oh man, that's a miss. And I hope, I hope yeah. that we've got the gospel consistently preached in enough that you wouldn't take, have that be your main takeaway. Um, Jesus is the salt and light and we just want to be filled with him and reflect him to all the people around us. Um, and so e- even with that, you know, pastor Ann over at two notch and teaching team, he had this idea. It was a great idea. Didn't have time to get it into the sermon. Uh, but he was like, you know, Jesus says you are salt, you are light. So he's actually giving us an identity more than he's giving us instructions. Yeah. And we are salt and we are light because he is salt and he is light and That's we're right. redeemed in him and we're covered in his righteousness. So this sermon is not a go earn it. Uh, the gospel is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort though. And we should seek and strive to walk in the way of Jesus, to live out and be in his kingdom where we're receiving his grace all the time. And then we're extending that love and grace. That's the light that we get to give to the world, no matter what they're dealing with. Yeah. Love that. John, thanks so much for coming. Love you. All right. Bye. Thanks, John. Bye.